2: A virus can infect you, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, gay, straight, IV drug user, prostitute. It doesn't matter. Viruses are just viruses. They have no brain. Medicine is, especially with a new disease, knowledge evolves. Policies evolve. There's no one at fault. Everybody's doing the best they can. Somebody has a disease, you try to figure out what's wrong with them. You try to figure out a way to treat them, and you try to figure out a way to
0: prevent them from spreading it. From the Tampa Bay Times, this is Three Little Words. I'm Austin Fast. My name is Dr. Jeffrey
2: Panessa. I'm a medical oncologist. I practiced for approximately
0: 25 years in St. Petersburg and recently have just retired. We'd forgive you for thinking the doctor is talking about COVID-19. 25 years ago, the United States was grappling with another epidemic it didn't quite understand.
2: AIDS was a 100% death sentence for everyone that got it. So if you got AIDS, you were going to die. And you weren't going to die years from now. You were going to die months from now.
0: Without prompting, almost everyone interviewed for this podcast used that phrase.
3: Death sentence.
0: Death sentence. Death sentence. Death sentence. Just still had that sort of death sentence feel. And for good reason. Dr. Panessa says more than three out of four AIDS patients died within a year of their diagnosis through the 80s and 90s. That last voice you heard, that's Roy Peter Clark. He's been coaching writers for decades at a journalism school called the Pointer Institute which owns the Times. And just as doctors were starting to prescribe more effective HIV drugs in February 1996, Roy published a month-long series in what was then known as the St. Petersburg Times. He called it Three Little Words. So this was a big story on a
1: controversial topic in a controversial format I would focus on somebody in the story about HIV-AIDS where the final act wasn't the death of the main character. AIDS is not just about people who die.
0: Three Little Words focused on those left behind. How they watched AIDS ravage a beloved husband and father of three, Mick Morse. How his wife suspected her marriage was a lie. How they coped with the only logical conclusion. Mick had been living a double life. Three Little Words drew hundreds of phone calls and letters to the Times newsroom in 1996. People threatened to cancel their subscriptions. And some did. They were disgusted by Roy's frank descriptions of how most people contract HIV through sex. But many more spoke of the courage of the series' heroine, Jane Morse. After the series ended, hundreds attended a panel discussion at the University of South Florida in St. Petersburg. They wanted a chance to meet Jane and to share their own experiences with AIDS. Now 25 years later, the Tampa Bay Times is looking back and retelling one of our most well-known stories. Roy's articles have all been republished at TampaBay.com, along with bonus content. And, despite how much time has passed, most of the characters remain here, in Florida. For the first time, we'll hear the story in their own voices, and we'll present fresh insights into the AIDS epidemic. So much has changed since Three Little Words was published. A diagnosis no longer equals a death sentence. But that doesn't mean the fight is over in 2021. The specter of AIDS still hangs over parts of our country and segments of our population, particularly people of color and the transgender community. This is Chapter 1 of Three Little Words. Jane Morse and her two teenage daughters moved to St. Petersburg in 1992. She had some ties here. Her aunt and uncle had just bought a house in a neighborhood across the street from Eckerd College, where her son was studying international business. So this was a family that had a
1: secret, a deep, dark secret. They moved to Florida without their dad, right? And, hey, give me that throw it in the Gulf of Mexico.
0: And just so you know, that train whistle is Roy's cell phone interrupting as we chat at the Pointer Institute.
1: I was very interested in Jane. She was beautiful. She was fun. Her and her family moved into the, the soccer moms and dads uh, community. I met
3: her on the soccer fields, yeah. We used to sit together on the soccer fields, and we just started talking, and then our friendship grew from there.
0: Roy's wife, Karen Clark, has been listening in. Here, she takes up the story.
3: She was started to tell me her story about Mick and um, the things that he did. And Jane and I would see each other all the time. I mean, we would go to dinner at least once, once a week, even while Mick was alive. And he came to town one Christmas. I can remember this clearly. And I said to her, I would like to meet your husband. And she looked at me and she said, No. No, and we have a photograph of her, of Mick sitting in the background, and her sitting there so angry.
0: Many people would say Jane had a right to be angry with Mick Morse, her husband of 24 years. Here's Jane.
3: It was such a shock, for one thing, such a betrayal, that I would never in a thousand years had would have thought that something like
0: this would happen. It's important to understand when this story plays out. In the 90s, many people didn't know AIDS spread primarily through sexual contact. They worried about catching HIV by sharing a drink with an AIDS patient, using the same bathroom, or even just being in the same room. And that stays on Roy Peter Clark's mind as he's writing his series. One of my great fears was that I would dispense misinformation
1: that would uh, further confuse or stigmatize vulnerable stakeholders. Stories don't point you there. They put you there. They're not about information.
0: They're about vicarious experience. Infidelity, loss, and denial are, unfortunately, universal experiences. Could Jane's story provide a window, illuminating aids for readers who'd never met an HIV-positive person, much less a gay person? Roy spent two years reporting this story. He traveled south to Brazil and north to Michigan. He wanted to find a way to keep readers on the edge of their seats. He remembers this cautionary tale from The Washington Post: David Finkel about covering the 1986 space shuttle Challenger explosion. It was the airport
1: and maybe it's a Sunday front page feature. And he sat down and he saw that someone sitting nearby him was reading his story and he just watched. He was compelled to watch and he went down to read it and he got to the jump line. This is, you know, see page 12A. The guy goes and makes the jump and he looks at it and
0: there's like two big full pages said. the guy goes ah closes it and puts it down anybody with a Netflix or Hulu subscription knows breaking a big story into smaller parts works few people would sit down to watch 20 hours of Harry Potter but break that into eight still quite lengthy movies and many more people can handle that The St. Petersburg Times had done three-part and four-part series before, but never 29 parts. It sounded crazy, so Roy designed them to be short so people could read each installment in the time it takes to sip a cup of morning coffee. Roy's editor at the time, Richard Bachman, knew the topic of AIDS would turn heads.
1: That's what we do. You know, you don't not tell a story because it's
0: controversial. But Bachman worried more about Three Little Words structure. My big fear was
1: people peeling off of it and giving up on it. Instead, people got into it, I think, and lived with it. It connected with them and it settled into them in a, in a much deeper way than I even kind of pictured going into it. They really came to feel like they lived with Jane for a month.
0: Jane's story, as told by Roy, begins in Bilbao, Spain, just after Thanksgiving 1989. It's an ugly industrial city along the northern coast, nothing like the warm beaches of Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, where they'd spent the decade prior. Jane drives to the city hospital to visit her husband. He's been in isolation for two weeks, undergoing tests for a mysterious ailment. Mick started getting sick in Brazil, coughing fits and terrible night sweats. They chalked it up to stress from his job. Eight years as high school principal at a private American school in Rio, then a year as acting headmaster. A move across the Atlantic Ocean that summer probably didn't help. They'd come to Spain for Mick's new job as headmaster at the American school in Bilbao. But for two months now, Mick's complained of incredible fatigue. He's coughing up whitish phlegm, even having trouble speaking. Once a three-sport athlete in high school, 50-year-old Mick has lost 26 pounds. Jane strides across the hospital lobby, hoping for answers.
3: I was in the elevator, and it turned out to be with the doctor and his intern. And they looked at me, and kind of with that look of, how are you? (laughs) And um, as I'm getting off the elevator, I'm thinking, that seems kind of strange. So then I go into Mick's room, and, you know, you have to get all garbed up for protection. And so I go in there, and I'm like, okay, you know, what's going on? And uh, I said, do you know what's wrong with you? Have you finally gotten the test results? What's happening? And he said, yes. And I said, what? And he said, I have AIDS.
0: Three little words. That's all Mick says. Jane's husband has always been the quiet one, as reserved and soft spoken as Jane is outgoing and flirtatious. She sometimes gets frustrated trying to pull things out of him. It's like his emotions are locked in a deep black box. Lying in the hospital bed, Mick looks away from his wife.
3: I was like, that's impossible. And he just kind of looked at me and said, no, this is what's happening. How could you have AIDS? That was the end of it.
0: Doctors originally called AIDS by the name GRID, Gay Related Immune Deficiency, or the Gay Cancer, since the epidemic first showed up among gay men in California and New York City. But then it showed up in other groups, and so another nickname gets added, the 4-H disease, since it seems to mostly affect Haitians, hemophiliacs, heroin users, and homosexuals. But on Mick's hospital discharge report, Dr. Alfonso Alvarez writes his patient denies a mechanism of contagion, except for a sporadic, heterosexual relationship. However he got it, Mick's diagnosis is splashed across the bottom of the report in bold, capital letters, acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, AIDS.
3: I stormed out of there. I don't, I don't even remember how I got home, you know, uh, and I sat in the car for, for a while and was just crying, crying, crying. And uh, the car was steaming up and this couple came next to me and uh, knocked on the window and, and asked if i was all right and i said yes blah 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 you know leave me alone so um you know i stayed there for a while and just you know tried to let this <sighs> sink in
0: much of that day is a blur jane's read about aids in newspapers since doctors identified the disease 8 years earlier in 1981 but this is no story this is real She asks herself, has my relationship with the father of my children been a lie? Jane doesn't remember how her two daughters got home from school that day.
3: Megan was always asking, well, how's dad? When's he coming home? And I said, I don't know yet. I mean, I was a basket case thinking that, uh, okay, he's got it. He's going to die. What if I have it? I'm going to die. What about my kids? You know? So all of those things went through my mind about the what-ifs. The next morning, of course, I didn't sleep hardly at all, if at all. The next morning, got the girls to school, drove them to school, and drove directly to the hospital. And went into the office and said, I want to be tested, and I want to be tested now.
0: Well, normally, how long does it take for an, an AIDS test?
3: Normally it it would have taken longer, but they, they
0: said this woman is going to go ballistic if
3: I don't do this.
0: She waits two hours for the results, alone and in agony. She thinks back on the past two weeks, how Mick had come home so weak and sick from a business trip in Portugal, how Dr. Alvarez peppered her with bizarre questions about their time in Brazil.
3: Any unusual pets, um drugs, all that. And I was like, drugs? You know, we're teachers. We don't... It was almost insulting. And uh, so then you kind of think ahead. Okay, now I know why they were asking me all these things.
0: Finally, Dr. Alvarez's intern slips back into the waiting room. Jane can tell by the look on her face she has the results of her HIV test
3: negative they came out negative but um you know and then from that time on I was constantly looking for things to figure out you know okay what's the time frame if I'm infected what's the time frame of when it would show up if I'm infected is this going to affect our children
0: then three other words
3: what about them
0: what about Jane
3: You're doing all the math to try to figure out okay, when, what, and where did we have sex? What happened? You know, when was the last time? How many months in between? Blah blah blah. You know, all that stuff goes through your head, and you know, you're new in the community, he's the superintendent or headmaster, if you will, and. You know, there's nobody to talk to. So you put on a show.
0: Three Little Words will continue after a short break. Jane's husband, Mick, insists the news of his illness be kept an absolute secret. They tell 18-year-old David, 13-year-old Megan, and 11-year-old Aaron it's a lung problem, but nothing antibiotics can't fix. This wasn't entirely untrue. Mick did have pneumonia, but it was brought on after AIDS attacked his immune system. Dr. Jeffrey Panessa describes what was going on inside Mick's body. Viruses in general have a binding site on their
2: surface and they attach to a particular cell. The HIV virus, for whatever reason, its receptor binds directly to the T helper cell and it infects the T cell and eventually kills those cells. The T helper cell is the quarterback of the immune system, it's the one that tells the rest of the immune system what to do. And when those cells become disabled, then the immune system has no direction, and it just basically fades into a dormant state. And as that occurs, people develop progressive weakness, weight loss,
0: and then ultimately many of them develop malignancies. Malignancies meaning cancer. If you've ever seen pictures of AIDS patients, you've probably seen Kaposi sarcoma, the reddish purple skin blotches which reveal cancer of the blood vessels. Burkitt's lymphoma is another one. It's cancer of the lymph nodes, which swells glands just like when you have the flu or a bad cold. These are the pictures in Jane's mind. She desperately searches for information on AIDS, but it's too early. Lakers star Magic Johnson hadn't announced his HIV diagnosis and retired from basketball yet. That would come in 1991. There are few magazine features or newspaper articles, and definitely no podcasts.
3: The computer didn't exist, I don't think, or enough for me to get any information. And the school was so small, didn't have a lot to offer um, along those lines, educationally about AIDS. And so I, you know, would go into Bilbao to this one newspaper stand to look for anything on the stand that might have a story or something.
0: Mick starts taking AZT the somewhat toxic medicine that so many AIDS patients have to take in those early years. There's no other option. Mick follows his own Morse code, to lock away, to repress, to deny. Jane thinks he should be pouring his feelings out to his kids, not to mention his siblings in Michigan. Instead, Mick buries himself in his work and retreats. This leaves Jane in a dangerous place, sorting through her thoughts in Bilbao's Al neighborhood on long walks along the sea.
3: I was always alone when I did that walk and I also would be looking at the couples thinking what's wrong with me? Crying sometimes. Um also just you know coming up with this um little mantra that I still will do when I walk. God makes me healthy, God makes me strong. I am healthy, I am strong. God makes me healthy, God makes me strong. I am healthy, I am strong. And um I still say that when I when I'm walking
0: Did you ever discuss actually had the transmission or how he got it ever again? Never. Did you try to bring it up?
3: Oh hell, yes. I remember throwing a glass at him. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, it was a narrow kitchen like slamming, you know, doors and, you know, come on, nothing. And, you know, just being so frustrated at trying to get him to talk to me and to um, not just me, but I bought journals for him to write to the kids. Write something in these journals to your children.
0: With Mick more unemotional, more contained than ever, Jane keeps her own Morse code, a ceremony of doubt, fear, and renewal she repeats over a dozen times for the next three years.
3: Mick would have to go to this clinic. So, you know, when he would go and they'd draw blood on him, I quite often would have them draw blood on me. And it was like every three months. You know, the minute you think, oh, my gosh, I've got a fever or you wake up in the night and you've been sweating and it's like, okay, and night sweats. I mean, Mick had night sweats like crazy. So you kind of take that. That's a sign. Um, I mean, it's just. Hellacious.
0: It's kind of reminding me a little bit of now, every time I wake up with a a slightly sore throat, I'm like, COVID, I have COVID. Yeah. Let's step back for a moment here because our present pandemic can shed some light on how AIDS felt at the beginning. I was born late enough in the 80s that I was oblivious through most of the early AIDS crisis. Today, we have so much information available on our smartphones or computers, it's hard to imagine Jane's terror of the unknown while living with an HIV positive husband. But think back to March 2020, when COVID 19 really took hold across the United States. Only two weeks passed from when Florida confirmed its first case until Governor Ron DeSantis shut down all bars, nightclubs, and schools. Major League Baseball spring training, gone. March Madness, axed. Toilet paper, good luck finding it. I wiped down all my groceries with bleach and held my breath while passing people on the sidewalk. There were so many questions without answers. Is visiting grandma safe? When will this stop? For me, COVID-19 has opened a tiny window to better understand what those caught by the AIDS epidemic must have felt. Let's have Dr. Jeffrey Panessa spell it out for us.
2: First of all, people are afraid they were going to catch it. And they didn't know how you caught it. You could get it from a toilet seat. You could get it from kissing. You could get it from someone, from, you know, anything, public transportation. Approximately 80 percent of all hemophiliacs got HIV in the late 80s, early 90s because they were receiving pooled plasma that had the virus in it. And so as that was happening, that put more fear in that people were afraid to receive medical treatments because they thought they could get AIDS from the hospital in the
0: same way that you're afraid to go to the hospital now because of COVID. That fear might be where the similarities end, though. From 1981, when young men in Los Angeles first report mysterious and rare forms of pneumonia, it takes three years to identify AIDS cause. Many American doctors have no clue what's causing these terrible symptoms.
3: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen.
0: President Ronald Reagan's Secretary of Health and Human Services, Margaret Heckler, holds a press conference in April 1984.
3: First... The probable cause of AIDS has been found, a variant of a known human cancer virus. With discovery of both the virus and this new process, we now have a blood test for AIDS. With the blood test, we can identify AIDS victims with essentially 100% certainty.
0: Three years... About 4,000 Americans come down with AIDS symptoms from 1981 to 1984 without a way to even test them and know for sure what's behind their symptoms. Can you imagine three years of COVID-19 and still no way to test for the disease? Dr. Bernessa says the reason is. COVID can affect anyone.
2: All you have to do is breathe in order to get COVID. So it could affect closer to home. AIDS was this thing that affected those people. And they did bad things in order to get the disease. And if I get that disease, I'm not only going to have a serious disease, but I'm going to be marked as one of those people who did bad things. Okay. You couple that with the fact that COVID is anywhere from 1% to 4% chance of dying from the disease. The older you are, other diseases can, can, uh, can cause it to be more lethal. But in general— there's still a reasonable chance that you're you're going to live through COVID. You, excess of 90%. In excess of 75% of AIDS patients died within the first year. So that's an amazing statistic and created a lot of fear
0: and panic. And this is the strange new world Jane finds herself in, feeling totally isolated as she walks along that seawall in Bilbao, Spain, dragging the ball and chain of her husband's secret diagnosis behind her, Her fear returns in three-month cycles. First, relief from a negative HIV test, then attempts to keep her mind busy.
3: And you play games with yourself, you know. You take that paper towel, you wrap it up, and, okay, I'm fine if I can get it in the wastebasket. Well, you make sure you get it in the wastebasket. You know, stupid stuff like that.
0: Last in the cycle, a nighttime anxiety attack brought on by stress of her daily deception. Time for another test. Mick always calls the hospital for Jane's results. He speaks five languages, and his Spanish is excellent. Jane wonders how Mick can be so nonchalant, as though it's obvious she doesn't have the disease. Then again, it has been so long since they had, oh, what's the phrase the papers and doctors use? Exchanged bodily fluids?
3: I initiated probably 90% of the sex. A girlfriend said to me, We could never figure out, you know, Mick hardly ever touched you or you guys didn't hold hands and stuff like that. And, you know, you kind of think, yeah, you're right. But then again, you've got three kids that you're running after, taking care of.
0: And caring for those kids is even harder now. Jane separates Mick's dishes, glasses, and silverware from the others, washing them to the point of sterilization. The bathroom is especially tricky – Jane stores mixed towels, toothbrush, and razor in a safe place, away from everyone else's things, which is harder than it sounds. Jane remembers the day 18-year-old David visits them in Spain on a semester break from Eckerd College in St. Petersburg.
3: During that period of time, I made sure that I had utensils for him, for shaving, for everything, and I'd put it in one of those other bathrooms. And... I think everybody else had gone to school, and so I was starting to fix him some breakfast, I think. And I heard him in that bathroom and yelled down, David, what are you doing?
1: Mom, I'm just going to use Dad's razor because I forgot mine at school. I'm an idiot, and uh, I've never seen my mom
3: move so fast. I tore ass down the hallway and said, No, 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 you can't use your dad's. You can't do this.
0: On the next episode of three little words
3: you go down to copacabana you sit outside at the cafés and stuff and you watch people pass and they come up to you and oh darling how are you and it was just so much fun it was another life
1: i honestly believe that the day my dad decided to act upon his true feelings of who he wanted to be i also think he made a conscientious decision not to touch my mom anymore. And that may have driven my mom crazy, right? So you're married to
0: your husband. He doesn't touch you for X amount of years. Everybody's human. Three Little Words was reported, written, and produced by me, Austin Fast. The original series was conceived and written by Roy Peter Clark in 1996 with editing from Richard Bachman. Podcast script supervision came from Joshua Gillen and Maria Carrillo. Music was provided by Artlist. Thanks to the National Library of Medicine for use of archival audio in this episode. To read the original series online, flip through Roy's reporting archives, and see additional photos and audio content, visit tampabay.com slash three little words. Catch all five episodes of Three Little Words wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like the series, please rate and review us. Thanks for listening.